I do think that when we use the word awkward as an identity, it is a limiting belief in a box because here's the truth. Here's what bubbled up in the research. There is no such thing as a factually awkward person. So I want all of your listeners to let that soak in. There is no such thing as a factually awkward person. It is subjective. The emotion of awkwardness is subjective and are using it as a trait to describe whether it's ourselves or someone else is subjective. That means it's a matter of opinion. It is up to us to deem someone else awkward or it it is up to us to deem ourselves so. But there is no such thing as a factually awkward person. Do you remember the most awkward moments in your life? One for me was definitely the day I was defending my master's thesis. I was explaining a complex algorithm called the bounding box algorithm when my advisor interrupted me and said, well, that's not really how it works. In front of my classmates, other faculty, and a number of friends who showed up out of support. As you can imagine, I was mortified until I recovered, finished the presentation, and said, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Unless it's about the bounding box algorithm, then you can ask Dr. Bishop. That got laughs and I finished strong. I learned an important lesson that day. Awkward will happen. It's how you handle the awkward that has the lasting effect. And that's exactly what Dr. Hannah Pryor is going to talk to us about today. She's a keynote speaker and her best-selling book, Good Awkward, came out in September with endorsements from people like NFL quarterback Russell Wilson. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode because everybody feels awkward at some point. And Dr. Hannah Pryor tells us that we need to lean into it. Look for these top takeaways. We are living in a society that is increasingly losing its social skills muscle. We don't have to interact with as many people and it's making us feel worse. Look for the fact that awkward goes hand in hand with uncertainty. That means that if you never want to feel awkward, you'll never grow. And in order to embrace uncertainty and therefore awkwardness, we need to create more situations to practice than the current world gives us. So make sure to put yourself in situations where it's uncertain, where you might feel awkward. This is a great interview and I know you will enjoy it. We talk about a bunch of things. And of course, if you want to get a copy of Henna's book, Good Awkward, which I recommend. I am reading it now. You can head over to howibuilt.it slash 338 to get that and all of the show notes. But for now, let's get into the intro and then the interview. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast that helps busy solopreneurs and creators grow their business without spending too much time on it. I'm your host, Joe Casabona, and each week I bring you interviews and case studies on how to build a better business through smarter processes, time management, and effective content creation. It's like getting free coaching calls from successful solopreneurs. By the end of each episode, you'll have one to three takeaways you can implement today 
to stop spending time in your business and more time on your business or with your friends, your family, reading, or however you choose to spend your free time. All right, I'm here with Hannah Pryor, author of the book, Good Awkward. Real excited to talk about this because I uh, tell people I'm I have the ability to shake off awkward and you wrote a whole book about this. So Hannah, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I love that this resonates with you out of the gate. We're going to have a ton to talk about. Let's dive right into it. What do you mean by awkward? Mm. So my working definition of the word awkward is awkwardness is the emotion that we feel when for a moment, our true self, that person that we believe ourselves to be, is in a gap between the person who is on display. So simply said, who we believe we are momentarily feels different than who they see. Our internal identity doesn't match their external reality. And when we're finding ourselves in that gap space, we feel the emotion of awkwardness. It is an emotion of discomfort, and it is a social emotion, meaning we don't tend to feel it when we're by ourselves. So if we've mispronounced someone's name, or we put our foot in our mouth, but no one was there to hear it, we don't tend to experience the emotion of awkwardness. It is a social emotion. So in order to feel it, it requires another. But we feel it when we're in that space between our two selves. Oh, that's that's really interesting. So I guess I'll ask for a distinction here, right? Because awkward could be like the the embarrassment, right? But it could also Mm be, uh, you know, I'm a... I'm feeling a little nervous, but I'm trying to project this like big bravado, like John Wayne man kind of thing. Like I can feel awkward then as well, right? Sure. There's lots of different ways it can show up. Ultimately, when we think about this emotion, it has to do with expectations, right? What does somebody else expect of us? Now, awkwardness, I think another important way to approach this is some people view awkwardness as a temporary state, right? Embarrassment is one way we can think of awkwardness as a temporary state. I said something cringy or I experienced something that was embarrassing, but it's fleeting. It's transient. It goes away. It passes. Sometimes we get stuck on it for a few minutes, sometimes for a few hours, but it eventually passes. Other people will use the term awkward as a trait. I am socially awkward. I am someone who is awkward all the time. Right. And so it really depends how we use the term and the language. Do we use it as an emotion or do we use it as an identity? And when we use it as an identity, it becomes a bit prickly and dangerous because it can create behaviors in us that either stop us from doing what we want to do or put on sort of what you started to describe a performative version, a bravado version to try to manage that emotion. Yeah, that's that's super interesting, right? Like the the fleeting, like transient, like everybody feels that, right? Like yep. there'll be that thing that you did like ten years ago, and it'll just creep into your mind, and you'll feel that like like guttural right. feeling for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but the the trait that's that is even more interesting to me because I think as as we get online more, right? Like you see this, you see this. I don't want to say undeserved confidence, but I don't. I don't know the better word. Uh, in in like the Gen Z crowd, yeah, you know, um, not to like other the Gen Z crowd. I'm an elder millennial. Um, My, me too. <laughs> yeah, but um, but I think you you see that a little more, and and maybe like as as people are online more and they're 
on video more, um, you get this sense that like you deserve to be. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how much of that is like this awkward feeling like they see celebrities act that way. And mm-hmm. so they feel they need to act that way. I'm actually really excited to talk about this because I've not had a chance to talk about it from this angle, but I think it's an important one. What I feel is our biggest danger zone right now as it relates to this topic is we are living in a society that is strength is losing our strength in social musculature. So I'll explain what I mean by this. We do not have to have the social interactions anymore that invite in the moment awkwardness. You know, when we call uh, or when we want to order our tacos, we don't have to call the restaurant. We order on DoorDash. We order on Toast Tab. When we are at our friend's house picking them up, we don't have to ring the doorbell. We just text here, mm. right, from the driveway. I mean, elder millennials will remember when we wanted to call our friends. We had to chit-chat with their parents for yep. a couple <laughs> seconds before. You know, these things are no longer part of the fabric of our social interactions. And what's happened as a result is our social muscles weaken the same way that our physical muscles do. And increasingly, again, beyond society's things, a lot of us are working from home. A lot of us just don't have to have these interactions. So what we find is that when, you know, millennial Gen Z, or frankly, anyone is now faced with these social interactions, it becomes difficult. And when you have these online versions, it is safe, right? There may be an inherent Mm -hmm. awkwardness that they feel, but they don't have to handle it in the moment. They get to sort of deal with people's reactions over time, which is not real life, right? Not real life. Most people don't right. work in environments where they're completely by themselves. They don't live in environments where they're completely by themselves. So losing this social musculature of handling in the moment interactions that potentially go sideways is a real danger and something we need to be intentional about and part of, you know, the thesis of the book. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because I, I had that experience uh, very recently um, with a, uh, I had ordered food from a local establishment, mm-hmm. did it online, um, and I called to check up on it. And the the person I spoke to on the other end was like, fireable offense, rude. Like, oh, no. <laughs> they got fired. Because <laughs> I called and I, I called customer service and yeah. they listened back to the recording. And, um, like, I, yeah. Yeah, and and I'm just like, who behaves like that? And the people who behave like that are the people who can say things like that online without consequence, more or less. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just like a very jarring experience. Like, I didn't get a hello. I just got a bunch of expletives. Like, it was wild. (laughs) Yeah, and so that that to me is one side of the pendulum, right? Where someone Mm -hmm. is behaving in a way that is jarring. You know, the other side is people who you know, I, I playfully say they forget how to people, right? Like they don't yeah, even know yeah. what what to say. And what that really speaks to is a lack of relational practice, right? When we're not around people all the time, we don't have those little opportunities to practice reading someone's gestures, listening to the tone of their voice for mm-hmm. impatience, frustration, dissatisfaction. When we don't have chances to practice in the little moments day to day, which increasingly we don't, then it becomes very difficult to manage a difficult conversation, an unhappy interaction, because we don't know how to read people the same way and our relational skills start to suffer. So I'm not surprised that this is showing up in those places. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even I I consider myself an extrovert. Um, Mm -hmm. 
everybody would consider me an extrovert. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, and and the first conference I went to, kind of post pandemic, like first in person conference, mm-hmm. there was like a little bit of that. I was like. Oh man, it's been a while since I've just walked up to a stranger and talked to them, right? Like, what do we yeah. talk about? And so it took, you know, it took me like maybe an hour to get my sea legs. And after that, I was good. But yeah, you're, you're, it's, yeah, it's just like, like you said, physical, like if you don't work out, right, you lose those muscles. If you don't run, um, then you, uh, I learned this the hard way. If you, you don't train for one half marathon and then you can just keep running them without training. Right. Um, so exactly um, right. R- running for me is generous term, participating in a half marathon. <laughs> Fast walking. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. Doing it in under 16 minutes uh, oh. per mile. So, um, so I, I think you're absolutely right. Now, uh, thinking about this, right, because I would say that the, the experience I had uh, was... Uh, was a full-on, like, just obnoxious interaction, right? I was sure. calling to see, like, hey, where's my kid's food? And they didn't even let me say that. Um, sure. I think that some people will hide, maybe I'm, like, strawmanning here, but I think there are people who will hide behind the uh, the guise of, oh, I'm awkward, or, oh, I didn't know, but they're actually being obnoxious or mean or some other sure. thing. Uh, how do we kind of differentiate those two things? Yeah, it's a great question. I do think that when we use the word awkward as an identity, it is a limiting belief in a box because here's the truth. Here's what, you know, bubbled up in the research. There is no such thing as a factually awkward person. So I want all of your listeners to let that soak in. There is no such thing as a factually awkward person. It is subjective. The emotion of awkwardness is subjective and are using it as a trait to describe whether it's ourselves or someone else is subjective. That means it's a matter of opinion. It is up to us to deem someone else awkward or it it is up to us to deem ourselves so. But there is no such thing as a factually awkward person. So if you are using that term to describe yourself as a trait, as a statement of fact, I need, first of all, to start from that place of you are using that term as a crutch, as a safety net, as a box, as as a limiting belief. But there is no such thing. And awkwardness is also not the same as ineptitude. So in the book, I use the example, I would not hire an inept anesthesiologist (laughs) or an inept tax accountant, but I'd be perfectly fine hiring an awkward one, right? So this is not ineptitude, nor is it an excuse to be on bad behavior and then use that trait as a a crutch for the way you're showing up socially because you are unkind or unable to manage your language in a social setting. Unfortunately, does not make you awkward. That just makes you obnoxious. Awkwardness actually lives in uncertainty. So if you're Mm -hmm. saying these words with some intention and some knowledge behind it, that's not uncertain. You know what you're doing. You're just making a choice about the way you're showing up socially and you cannot use awkwardness as a crutch. It's not, it's not correct. Yeah. That's really, that's really interesting. And and like awkwardness is not the only place this shows up, right? Like I, I watched a woman let her kid just like wreck the aisle in an Apple store or like Mm -hmm. this shelves. And she's like, Oh, he has ADHD. And then she just walked away from the mess. And I'm like, there's a lot of things wrong with that statement. Sure. <laughs> One yeah. is that ADHD doesn't mean you could just let your kid do whatever they want. Like that's not what that right. means. Also clean up after your kid. Like if you're, so, um, or like my friend would always be a jerk when he was drunk. 
Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, oh, I was just drunk until like we replaced his beer with non-alcoholic beer one time. And oh he still God. behaved that way. <laughs> uh, so he just used that as the excuse to be like mean. Um, yeah. And so I think like, like you said, I want to highlight that again. Um, there's no such thing as a factually awkward person. And awkward lives in uncertainty. I think those yeah. are the two big takeaways here. Right. And so in the, in the example you just gave about the mom, you know, in the aisle with the toddler who's kind of running mm-hmm. amok, I think there's, you know, potentially one of two things at play is that she feels so embarrassed or cringy or awkward about it that mm-hmm. it creates inaction, which awkwardness can do that, right? I didn't expect my toddler to go nuts here and I feel so awkward about it that I don't know what to do. So I'm doing nothing. Or it's a choice, right? It's a choice, mm-hmm. but that is the exploration. And without having a conversation with that person, there's no way of me knowing which place it's coming from. But some people, the awkwardness paralyzes their ability to take any action step. And if that is the case, you know, she's just trying to cope in the moment. And that awkwardness is creating an inability, a physical inability to move forward with any sort of action step. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. That's like a really, that's a nicer way to think about it than I've been (laughs) thinking about it for the last like five years. (laughs) You're like that idiot. (laughs) I know. I guess it's like eight years. I didn't have kids. I I tried very hard not to judge people with kids when I didn't have kids, but I was like, someone should clean this up. (laughs) Right, right. Um, That's, but that's really interesting, right? So, uh, if someone feels awkward, that can lead to inaction. Uh, That's uh, a, a really a really good thing to consider when you're out in the world. Um, now, as this, you know, this is a show for solopreneurs and creators. Yeah. Um, so as we think about awkwardness and, and awkward being a limiting belief, I know that a question I get is, how do you become comfortable when you're recording a podcast? How do you become comfortable in front of the microphone or in front of the camera? And for me, honestly, it was that I did drama club from like, Shout out to Miss McCullough, now Sister Mary, uh, in second grade. Like she got me involved in drama club. And so I've always kind of been in a performative state. Uh, And so I didn't have a lot of trouble getting in front of the microphone. Um, How much, how much do you think the limiting belief of awkwardness uh, uh, contributes to maybe the lack of wanting to create the content that you should be creating? Yeah, I think significantly because ultimately, again, awkwardness is a social emotion. So if we're creating content online or if we're, you know, putting out assertions, videos in in that sort of format and consumption, what we're essentially scanning for as human beings is approval. We are social creatures. We are still hardwired for wanting to belong, for social acceptance. That will not go away. And awkwardness is that tension that we feel when we're not sure, right? We're not sure how something is going to be received or we did take that step and we put it out there and it didn't land the way we thought it would, right? Our expectations weren't met. And awkwardness, you know, it exists in that tension space, but it also exists when our expectations go sideways. You know, we thought it was going to go like this. Nobody responded. Nobody engaged. Nobody liked it. And all of a sudden we're like, is it me, right? Is it me? Mm -hmm. Did Did I screw something up? And one of the key awarenesses about learning how to embrace awkwardness rather than to avoid it is that we can try until we're blue in the face, but we cannot predict other people's behavior. So learning how to sit in that tension, in that messy middle of 
uncertainty, of awkwardness, of discomfort is key to continuing to put yourself out there. You will not continue to make content if every time the response you get or the approval that you get is your only metric of success. You have to learn how to live in that gray area of I'm doing this for the purposes of putting out the work, you know, doing the process, putting out the effort. Outcome-based thinking will freeze you at the edge of taking those risks every single time. You're never going to be able to do that stuff on a consistent basis if you're always thinking that way. Wow, that's a really great point. I want to push back on uh, asking about shouldn't we try to shake being awkward, but we do need to take a quick break for our sponsors. Hey there, I want to tell you about Sensei. Sensei is the original solution for creating and selling online courses with WordPress, and it's back and better than ever. As a course creator with Sensei, you get complete ownership over your content and the freedom to customize as much as you need. Sensei has vastly improved the course creation experience, adding a customizable distraction-free mode, video and lesson progression, powerful reporting, and a full set of interactive content blocks. And those blocks, like flashcards, image hotspots, and interactive videos, can be added to any page or post, not just the courses. The goal of Sensei is to make it effortless for course creators to develop personalized instruction for learners. And while Sensei is free to start, you can save 20% on Sensei Pro, allowing you to charge for courses, drip out content, manage groups and cohorts, and leverage new AI tools. Just go to howibuilt.it slash sensei to have the discount automatically applied. That's howibuilt.it slash S-E-N-S-E-I. Hey, real quick before we get back into the episode, I want to tell you about my free newsletter, Podcast Workflows. If you are wondering how I can successfully run this show, plus two other shows, plus run a business, plus run three children, Podcast Workflows is for you. You will get weekly emails with behind-the-scenes look on how I produce this show, experiments I am trying with other podcasts, and general advice to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. You'll also have the opportunity to become a member and get ad-free extended episodes of this show as well as bonus content. You can do all of that over at podcastworkflows.com slash join. That's podcastworkflows.com slash join. Sign up for free today. And we're back. Okay, so Hannah, you said we should embrace awkwardness, but I mean, you know, you look at the the movies, you look at TV shows, Zach Morris, uh, Zach, that's a really dated reference, but like Zach Morris yeah. was always super smooth. AC Slater was always super smooth. Um, and then the people that we see online too, right? Our favorite creators are usually very good at what they do. Shouldn't, I mean, shouldn't we try to not, shouldn't we try to get rid of the trait of awkwardness? Mm -hmm. I love, I love the say by the bell throwback, by the way. I feel like, you know, <laughs> you. people need to not look at it as I'm either a Zach Morris or a Screech, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's shades yeah. of gray in between. Yeah. Um, I do not agree that we need to shake off awkwardness and I'll tell you why. 
when we sh- when we try to eliminate awkwardness, again, first thing first, that's eliminating uncertainty. So you might be mm. able to keep yourself out of certain situations that invite awkwardness, but you cannot and will not avoid them all. You are not going to get through this life without tripping on a crack in the sidewalk. You are not mm. going to get through this life without accidentally mispronouncing someone's name or getting it wrong. You will not. So for me, it's less about shaking it off and understanding that Every time you are trying to grow in your entrepreneurial journey, in your content creation journey, any time you are trying to play at a slightly bigger growth edge, you are inviting the potential for that awkwardness to come back. So if your goal is to eliminate it, you will stay small. You will stay in that safe zone. You will stay in that box. But if you understand that it comes with the territory of taking bigger chances, you know, you and I both know well that the content creation game today is about standing out. It is noisy Mm -hmm. and standing out requires taking risks and taking risks means sometimes it's not going to land the way you want it to, but you have to take those risks if you're going to stand out in this noisy marketplace. The second thing is, is those people that you're talking about, these smooth content creators, guess what? They definitely have re-recorded, rewritten more times than you can count. And, you know, I I do a lot of keynote speaking with corporate teams as well. And one of the things Mm -hmm. we talk about with executive presence is... Most people think of executive presence and confidence as, you know, these people just have it. What you don't realize is they've been practicing for years. They've been doing exactly what you did, which is, you know, drama club at a young age, or maybe even if they started later in life, just repetitions. I imagine you think back to your first podcast and you're like, "Mm, eh, you know, not so great. You can still hear that. You can can go listen. (laughs) Yeah, but it's it's repetitions, right? And so what you're seeing when you see these smooth content creators isn't their first at bat. And often, you know, we all know the expression, we compare our behind the scenes to other people's highlight reel. They Mm -hmm. had to do this a bunch of times to appear smooth, flawless, confident. And what came out in the research, which I love, is that your favorite smooth, entrepreneurs, content creators, the one that you think, hey, they are so confident. Guess what? They don't experience awkwardness less than you do. They feel it exactly the same and as often as you do. They've just learned how to bounce back from it and lean into it very quickly. They don't try to skirt it. They don't try to avoid it because guess what? The avoidance of awkwardness increases awkwardness. So they just move through. The avoidant, the avoidance of awkwardness increases awkwardness. I love that, right? And you think about all of these other areas where people have internalized that this makes sense, right? Mm. In the most of the first season of this show, we talked about how we see the Olympic gold medalist in their gold medal performance. Right. What right. they don't see is that like since three years old, they were sacrificing and practicing to get to where they are today. Um, we know that like Alex Rodriguez or Aaron Judge or Ronald Acuna Jr. I love baseball. Um, mm-hmm. I can tell. <laughs> some of the best baseball players in the world, they go through slumps. You know, Alex Rodriguez was f- like famously very insecure despite being the best baseball player for years in a, in a row. Um, but he bounced back and he had, a, a, you know, he, he overcame that. And awkwardness is another thing that you can overcome and, and uh, embrace because you're always going to be better. At, you're always, like you said, you're always going to be growing or you should always be growing. And so you're always going to be in awkward situations because of that. 
Yeah, I love I love the comparison to athletics. So one of my partnerships is with an organization called Limitless Minds that was co-founded by Russell Wilson, uh, his brother nice. Harry, DJ Eidson, and his late mental conditioning coach, Trevor Moad. So people who know athletics often have heard of Trevor Moad. He worked closely yeah. with Russell and lots of other collegiate teams. And I had a chance to speak with Trevor several times. And what Trevor normalized was, you know, in athletics— the top athletes you know not only put in the repetitions, but they work preemptively and proactively on their mental skills. They work on these areas where mentally, and in the case of awkwardness, socially, they feel a bit unsteady. They feel a bit uh, hesitant, a bit ill-prepared. And they don't wait until the moments arise to practice these mental skills. They go seek them out. So one of the things that I'm very passionate about as it relates to our social fitness, which is what we're talking about, which is mental fitness in the social spheres as it relates to other people is intentionality. If we're constantly in the grocery store line and looking at our phone and never look up to lock eyes with someone, missed opportunity to practice. If, you know, the other day my husband was ordering tacos for the family and toast tab was down and he was like, Mm -hmm. well, where are we getting dinner instead? I was like, instead, no, I want tacos. We're going to call the restaurant, right? But when we (laughs) constantly skirt these micro opportunities for social muscle building, then we will struggle at the big game, right? And so intentionality is so key. Conditioning our minds for this is so key. Yeah, we don't don't always need to go for our PR, right? Our personal record. We can do conditioning, right? Right. Fun fact about DoorDash and Uber Eats at this point is I've I don't have either app. I wow. I, I deleted my accounts. I don't know if you've experienced this, but like yeah. DoorDash in this area is not good in my oh. experience. It um, wasn't in I've my always, area, but now it is, which is dangerous because nice. money is flying away. <laughs> yeah, so I was just like, you know what? Like if if we want something, I'm either going to go get it or I'm going to order from the pizza joint right down the street or whatever and so I love it. Um I'm like very, people say I'm an old soul. I definitely prefer to have like the, I, I, despite being technical, I always want to talk to a person. I just know that I'll be able to communicate my needs better than telling a machine and and getting some rote response back. Yeah. But Joe, if I can, if I can maybe make a leap of a connection, the fact that you do this with regularity makes your ability to be a great podcast host easier, makes your ability to ask for things that you really want at your core easier because you are keeping that muscle conditioned. You know, I, I people are like, I don't do this, do I? And then I'll ask them, <laughs> do you ever get on an elevator and press the closed door button because you don't want to have to deal with the small talk <laughs> of somebody else getting on? And they're like, oh, wow. God. How many of us do oh that? Oh my gosh. Right? So I, even that's extroverts so funny. I do never this. do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't I I don't either, but actually it's, yeah. it's intentional, right? I can't tell right. you how many people and I I want to circle back to something you said at the beginning. People think, "Hannah, you wrote a book called Good Awkward is this for introverts?" No, Joe, I like you am 100% extrovert. I am mm. not an introvert. Yeah, introverts do tend to experience awkwardness more acutely, but what I have observed, just like you, is post-pandemic is social muscle can atrophy. And this is becoming the society that we live in. So it's for everyone. And if you've ever hammered an elevator door shut, this is for you too. If you've ever looked at your yeah. phone in the grocery store line to try to avoid small talk, this is for you too, right? This is all of us these days. Yeah. Wow. That's that's amazing. Um, and yes, like, like you said, I'm not without awkward. Actually, uh, for... 
uh, subscribers, you'll be able to hear Hannah and I tell a couple of our maybe <laughs> best or worst awkward stories. Uh, both, so if both you and. want to. Both and, yes. Uh, so <laughs> if you want to get that conversation as well as this entire episode ad-free, you can head over to howibuilt.it slash join. Or if you're listening in Apple Podcasts, just press the subscribe button uh, and you can get those conversations. Um, so I do want to ask, by the way, I'm the I'm always the guy who makes the comment in the quiet elevator, like, oh, we're on the local or whatever. I'm that. <laughs> I, I was it. like born a dad. Um, <laughs> now, is this, I have felt... Maybe since getting married, maybe since having kids, uh, more generally confident and comfortable in who I am. Mm -hmm. Is is this something that kind of changes with age? Like, are are generally speaking, younger people more awkward because they're less certain? Mm, interesting question. So, yeah. yes and no. So, here's some interesting research. Kids don't feel awkward because they haven't yet learned they should feel that way. So self-consciousness is the category of emotion that awkwardness sits in. It's a self-conscious emotion, meaning we are looking for who we are through the lens of who other people see. So we're mm. scanning for other people's opinion of us to sort of define who we are. And research uh, from the Association of Psychological Science found that around age eight or nine, that starts to kick up. So you'll notice if you've got children or nieces or nephews or neighbors in your life that are younger than eight, they don't really care that much, right? They are in the kitchen. They are dancing. They are swinging mm -hmm. their hips. They're like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> you're watching me? So, right? They just yep. don't care. And it's around eight or nine that we start to notice other people are watching us, making an opinion of us. We start to scan for what are the social norms of this classroom, of this family unit, of this group. So we start to feel it around then. And then interestingly, and in chapter five in the book is all about this approval kind of tendency is, yeah, as we start to grow, as we start to hit new phases in our life, new school, new college, new job, promotion at the job, every inflection point, that kind of ding, ding siren for approval kicks up again, which is why they tend to feel awkward. But then as you said, we get to this point later in life and there's a phenomenon called the spotlight effect. We think people are paying much closer to attention to us than they actually are. <laughs> they rarely mm -hmm. are. Um, but there's an old adage that says in your 20s and 30s, we care a lot about what other people think of us. And in your 40s and 50s, you stop caring what other people think about you. But then in your 60s and 70s, you realize they were never thinking about you that hard mm -hmm. in the first place. Yeah. Right, And so you're right. As life goes on, that starts to change because we recognize that that spotlight that we thought was on us just is either non-existent or not nearly as bright as we thought it was in those earlier years. Yeah, that's really interesting. I always say like we people always like to think they're the star of the movie. Yeah, so like main character energy. Them. Isn't yeah, that the, what they yeah, all, the kids yeah. say now? <laughs> main character energy. Yes, I yeah. love that. Um, yeah. And that's that's actually really interesting, right? Because I have... Uh, three kids, six, three, and two. Um, mm -hmm. And so six going on 16, really. Um, but uh, the my therapist has told me, like, at seven, at six, seven, like, you think the world revolves around you, but, like, in a very different way. Like, you think mm -hmm. everything is happening because of you and not people are kind of scrutinizing you, which is what the spotlight effect sounds more like. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, after that phase of, you know, nine, 10 years old. So I've got a 13 and 11 year old. They're in mm-hmm. eighth and sixth grade, both in middle school. Now, let wow. me tell yeah. you, this is the height of everyone is watching. Everyone is staring. Social belonging means everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, it's, it's natural. It's developmentally appropriate. But we really start to look for who we are through the lens of other people's expectations of us. Not because of this is who we really are at our core, but who do other people see? And then more importantly, do they like who they see? And so everything at this age feels incredibly awkward. And, you know, as a parent, I'll be honest, it's tough to watch, especially as someone who's researched this and wrote a book on it. But it's also the most natural sort of evolution that there is. It's just helping them cope with those moments as often as possible. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I I'm well, I definitely if I wasn't already going to get your book before this, I'm definitely <laughs> going to get it now. Um good awkward out now. Um yes. because uh I want to make sure that like I handle that appropriately. Through, you know, again, like awkward is like I feel it and I I feel like I can shake it off better than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um but like my daughter, for example, like it was like school sports day. We are in Philly's uh, Philly sports country. I'm a New York sports fan, and so I sent my daughter to school in a Yankee shirt and not a Philly shirt. And like she's How like, "How dare you?" <laughs> I know she was like, "A couple of boys made fun of me," and I'm like, "Just tell yeah. them 27 rings." Like, <laughs> and but she was like, I, "I, I maybe wasn't as empathetic to the to the fact that like her peers were like other or I don't, I'm not othering her, but like, why do you like this team? This team is not the team you're supposed to like." Right, right. So. And that's, that's you know, it's a natural behavior for that age. But I think yeah. where, you know, I, I, I smile every time you use the term shake it off because, you know, mm-hmm. the way I would describe your equivalent of shake it off is you don't let the emotion hook you is what mm-hmm. you're saying. In other words, yeah. like you experience it, you feel it, you're human. You know, as long as you have healthy brain function, you're going to experience the emotion of awkwardness. But what you're saying is I don't let that emotion sink its hooks into me and prevent me from moving forward quickly, from taking that chance mm-hmm. the next time. In other words, your comeback rate is fast. And that's what high performers do. The people who we see as confident, entrepreneurs, content creators, you know, a top people in business, celebrities, when we see people and they're like, gosh, they're just so confident, it's not because they've learned to eliminate awkwardness. I assure you they have not. Their comeback rate is lightning fast. You know, I, I opened the book with a story about Jennifer Lawrence and as she tripped over her dress mm. trying to go collect her Oscar. Do you remember that? And she, yes. rather than being mortified, which she was, there's interviews right. after the fact where she was like, oh my God, like, can you believe this? <laughs> but she got up there and she said, you know, you guys are just standing up and clapping for me because I fell. And that's really embarrassing. <laughs> but she just, she owned it. So she was able yeah. to come back from it. She became more endearing because of it. And we moved on. It's not that she didn't feel mortified. It's not that she didn't feel embarrassed. Her comeback rate was just very fast. And whether she knew it at the time or not, that had been something she'd been working on through her, you know, acting training, some improv Mm -hmm. training, things like that, that you can do to develop the muscle to handle those moments in real time. Yeah, I love that. And this is the perfect point to move to um, the big question, how can we embrace awkward, right? Because like the self-deprecating thing, that works really well for me too, right? If mm-hmm. I if I like feel awkward, I definitely yeah. just kind of like, hey, I'm laughing with you. Let's move on real quick sort of thing. Yes. 
Yeah, so that's one way. So, you know, in chapter seven of the book, it's all on humor and the appropriate use of humor and awkwardness in those moments. So there are some rules, right? So self-deprecation works beautifully as long as you are doing it about something that doesn't speak directly to your competence, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes, again, people worry if I express my awkward edges or if I appear awkward, will I appear inept or incompetent or incapable? And I always try to carve out that there is a difference. If you are generally someone, Joe, if we know you as someone who researches and prepares for his podcast guests, who generally does good work and you say the wrong thing right now, believe it or not, there's a phenomenon in psychology called the pratfall effect where the occasional blunder actually makes you more likable because it knocks you off of this golden pedestal that we put you Mm. on of being perfect all the time. So it is okay to put your foot in your mouth, to stick, you know, stick your toe in it and then have a moment of self-deprecating, oh, cringe, I can't believe I said that. Or, oh, that was awkward, right? That little bit of self-deprecation goes a long way as long as you're not self-deprecating about your skill set. Like, I'm the worst podcaster there ever is. Then we're like, Mm -hmm. that doesn't quite feel funny. That feels like, what am I doing on this podcast, right? It's like two two different things. Um, The other two kind of main components, which we can certainly break down, there's step one is self-awareness. What are the stories you tell yourself about awkwardness? Are they all contamination stories? Which means, you know, when I have an awkward moment, do I let it contaminate the future? Do I think to myself, oh my God, that was so embarrassing. I'm never going to put myself in that situation again. I'm never going to try to give a presentation again for fear of saying someone's name wrong. I'm not going to go on a podcast for fear of how I'll sound, right? Does it create inaction? Or can you tell yourself a redemption story? You know what? I went on that podcast with Joe. I said this thing. I wish I didn't. But you know what? I'm going to look for, I like to call it the gifts in the garbage, right? Didn't feel great. Awkwardness is an emotion of discomfort, but I put myself out there. I tried something. I didn't get it right, but there's a learning in it. So what are the stories we're telling ourselves? Second story that I think is really important, and I'll I'll pause here before I give you sort of step two, is Mm -hmm. I love exploring people's relationship with vicarious embarrassment. So Mm -hmm. as it relates to our own awkwardness, it's not just how awkward do I feel myself, but how awkward or embarrassed do I tend to feel not just for other people, but with other people. So Joe, you Mm -hmm. may tell me a story about something that you did, and not only am I like, ooh, poor Joe, that sounds embarrassing, But some of us are so high on a certain type of empathy that we will literally take that on with another person. I'm like, oh my God, Joe. Like, (laughs) did you really, right? I'm beyond inconsolable. And that's not even my situation. That was your situation. But some of us that are very high on this particular form of empathy really struggle to manage our own awkwardness and embarrassment because we tend to feel that someone else is going to feel that way about us as well. And that's not always the case. Mm. It's not always true. So examining those things yeah. is a great starting point. That's really interesting. It's so funny you mentioned that because um, I think, like, again, I think I'm okay with my own awkwardness. I can't right. watch, like, Meet the Parents or, like, the, mm. mm-hmm. you know, like, the episode of The Office, Scott's Tots. Uh-huh. Like, or, diverse, I, or Diversity Day. Yeah, yeah. I, like, really feel that. And it's, like, not even enjoyable for me to watch. Like, Joe, so I love that you brought I, this up because this is a yeah. perfect test. That, so that, yeah. that genre of comedy that you're talking about actually has a name. Yeah. It's, called, it's called cringe comedy. Ooh. It has a name. It's called cringe comedy. So The Office, 40-Year-Old Virgin, Borat, mm-hmm. America's Funniest Home Videos. These are yeah. all designed to make us 
feel awkward and cringe because of other people's social blunders. And some of us love them. We watch, mm-hmm. we laugh, we're like hilarious. And other people that are high on that particular empathy yeah. can, cannot, right? They're like, this is ruining my day. Like I feel it <laughs> up, up and down my body. So it sounds like, yeah. you know, you've got a little bit of that in you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'll tell I'll tell that office story more in a, in, in the pro show. <laughs> Um, yeah. but yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, cause I do think I have like the high, you know, I, I cry at a lot of things and my daughter's like, why are you crying? And I'm like, I just feel a lot. I just feel I'm Italian, right? We feel a lot of things. Um, yeah. so that's, that's really interesting. Um, okay. So we've got the humor, we've got self-awareness. What's next? Yeah. And the last step, which we've alluded to throughout the show, but I think it's just important to put a very clear spotlight on it is conditioning. Repetition and rehearsal. Again, we live in a world that does not create these happenstance opportunities. So we need to over-index on creating opportunities to strengthen our social muscle in order to tolerate awkwardness when it inevitably arises. This could be in you know physical situations, right? Like stay off your phone when you're in the grocery store line or uh, strike up a conversation with someone in a coffee shop or correct the server when they've brought your order wrong, right? This can be little things like that. Mm-hmm. It can also mean intentionally creating spaces in your own communities with people you know to share missteps, blunders, embarrassing moments. So I work again a lot with corporate teams. I will encourage them to do things like at the beginning of a meeting, share cracked egg stories, meaning every member of the team has to share something that like was woefully sideways, right? That didn't work mm-hmm. out. Or a bad idea brainstorm, meaning every team member presents an idea that is frankly unrealistic. It's not actually going to work out. But what it actually accomplishes is it reduces people's wall. It brings that guard down so that the ideas and the stories and the conversation that follows are more generative, more innovative, more creative. So there's all these benefits. There's all these upsides to creating spaces where we normalize this conversation, but the world is not handing them to us anymore. We have to actually put ourselves intentionally in these situations in order to keep these muscles strong. Uh, I love that. Um, So it all starts with something I've been telling my kids forever. When you're walking in public, just don't have your phone or your device. Mm -hmm. My kids don't have phones uh, yet, um, but... I, I always tend to point out, look, this person's about to walk into a wall because they, they're staring straight down at their phone. So um, yeah. just be more in the world. I love that. I, I love bad idea brainstorming too. I always say like when I'm trying to brainstorm with people and they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, there are no bad ideas in brainstorming. Just like say whatever you're thinking right now. Yeah. And yeah. we write it down and maybe we do nothing with it, but it's out there. So I love yeah. that. Yeah, I think the fear is what you talked about before, which is, you know, will I be seen as inept? And again, if you're, yeah. brand, new to, if you're brand new to your job or if you're brand new to entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. maybe don't share all your bad ideas in your first few con- right. pieces of content, right? Right. So once you've built up a little bit of that capital for competence, have at it, right? If you're yeah. brand new, be more thoughtful. There are some rules, but generally people want to see your cracked edges. We appreciate it. it it's yeah. humanizing and it's helpful. Yeah, you mentioned the pratfall effect before, and I I've never heard it called that, but it's it reminds me of like, uh, and I'm not gonna condone this at all, but I know people who have done it, right? Like if you uh, maybe had a drink at the bar and you're driving home after that, and you drive like a little bit too perfectly, I've been told that that's a signal by police. Like if you're going the exact mm. speed limit, like this person's driving a little bit too perfectly, what are they hiding? 
Um, so I think that's really interesting. It's like the same thing. Oh, like this person presents themselves too perfectly. Like it's a little bit unnatural is, is maybe yeah. how I think about it. Yeah, I think it's also just a shift for entrepreneurs and creators. You know, we're, we're no longer interested in this sage on the stage. You know, we're mm-hmm. interested in a guide mm. on the side. Are they next to us? Yeah. Are they with me? Or are they up there feeling like they're at this unattainable place that maybe I could get to or maybe not? And generally, wisdom has been that we like to follow people who are ahead of us, but just by a few steps, right? When they're so far ahead of us or they're so flawless in their execution, it makes us feel like it's out of reach. And so the Batfall effect, again, the occasional blunder just level sets the playing field and makes us— in fact, like that person more. It increases their warmth. It inc- increases their relatability. I'm not suggesting we engineer it and you know purposely dump coffee on our lap in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> but if you call me Hannah and then correct it to Hannah, guess right. what? You're a real dude. You know, we could edit it mm-hmm. out, but I'm going to go ahead and suggest we don't, <laughs> right? If something yeah, like that right. happens, because yeah. there's there's beauty within it when we have those moments of humanity. Yes. Now I'm trying to think if I did that. I think I did that in the you pre-show. Didn't. Not on tape, at least. (laughs) You know why? It's because I taught in a classroom for years. And so, like, I've spent many years mispronouncing all of my students' names. And so Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right. And now I know how to pronounce most names, at least. Um, Yeah. Or fun tip, like, you can also check, like, LinkedIn and see if people added their pronunciation on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. or something else, right? There are places now. Anyway, but... But I mean, I don't want to undercut your point, Hannah, that it's okay to mispronounce people's names sometimes. Right. Or whatever Um, it is. Yeah. Or whatever it is. Right. Um, This has been great. I'm going to ask you one more question in the pro show. That's probably the the maybe juiciest point. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to ask you in the pro show if you think AR and VR help or hurt the current trend of of social uh, interactions. So... Mm. If you don't care about my awkward story about making fun of somebody's bumper sticker, which I'll tell, uh, definitely get Hannah's uh, insight on AR and VR, especially as the Vision Pro comes out sometime in the next few months. Um, But this has been so great. Where can people find you? And more importantly, most importantly, where can people get your book? Oh, thank you. So I'll answer the second question first. The book, you know, I feel like this is the corny answer, but everywhere books are sold. So Amazon, Mm -hmm. Barnes & Noble, Barnes & Noble, most metro cities have it. That's the best answer. Yeah, yeah it's, and most of the metropolitan cities have them in store. It's at a couple of airports as well. If you like to nice. go indie, which I encourage you to, you can either go to bookshop.org or ask your local indie bookstore. They can order it for you. And I always encourage people to support local. And then on socials, I'm Hannah Pryor everywhere. I will say that LinkedIn and Instagram are my preferred playgrounds. So just H-E-N-N-A-P-R-Y-O-R, Hannah Pryor in all the places. And I love to make new friends. I might make it a little awkward, but that's kind of the name of the game. So link up. Yeah, absolutely. I will link to uh, those and everything we talked about in the show notes over at howibuilt.it slash 338. That's 338 for the episode number. You'll also be able to become a member over there and get ad-free extended episodes. And uh, Henna, thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was fun. And thank you for listening. Thanks to our sponsors. And until next time, get out there and build something.